Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Tell somebody you're sitting next to, I'm really glad you're here today. But tell them, don't sit too close. It's hot outside. Don't sit too close. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be somewhere and I'll sit with my wife. We don't get to sit together in church a whole lot, which is great sometimes, but sometimes it would be nice, you know, and I, I reach over and I put my arm around her and she'll say, what are you doing? Well, I just want to hold, it's too high. We don't need to do that right now. Well, I love you. She says, I know, but I don't need you to hold me right now. But I said, I need you to hold me. And she says, I'm not big enough to do that. So then we move on, and it's fine, you know. But, um, hey, we've really had some great responses to these cards of asking for a friend. And the idea is, is maybe kind of asking an embarrassing question or a, a biblical question that you would like answered. We've got some, I would call them heaters coming up in the next couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about some stuff that's very big in our culture today that, uh, that's going to be fun to talk through and and may, may, we may have some crickets and quiet moments again. Uh, but this week, uh, the card I'm holding in my hand, you saw some of the questions up there today. Um, question number one, I, and I bunched them together because they're all in the same uh, family. Uh, is baptism and communion the same in our church as it is the Catholic church that I grew up in? Question number two, does my baptism count from when I was a baby? Question number three, how often and why does our church do communion. So we're going to go through those questions today. We're going to open up the Word of God, try to explain these things to you the best that we can. But I want to encourage you, if you have a question like that uh, or anything else from the Bible you want to talk about, uh, please fill this out. And at the end of the service, when you go out into the lobby, there's a big box that looks just like this card. And if it's like a really embarrassing question, just kind of walk like right next to it and slide it in. Nobody's looking at it. You know, if you don't want anybody to know what you're asking about. But we get about eight to ten a week, so don't worry about it. Nobody's going to assume anything about you if you drop one of those cards in there. And uh, you can put your name on it if you want to, or you don't have to put your name on it. Uh, but uh, we would sure like you to be able to, uh, to be part of this and participate in this series together. So today we're going to talk about baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. And we're going to start with baptism a little bit. These are really, really great, great questions um, about baptism and about communion. And because baptism is something that's practiced in different ways with different denominations and different churches. Uh, baptism is, uh, there are some churches that teach that you become saved as a baby or you're sanctified or you become a part of God's family as a baby when you hit those baptism waters. It's a very holy, symbolic moment. Other churches teach that baptism is part of salvation, that you accept Christ as Savior, and then you're baptized, and then you're saved. They kind of work together is what some church, church, churches teach. And that's, that's, you know, we're not here to, to dog other churches. We're not here to say this is who we are, this is who they are, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. What we want to do is, is go into the Word of God, the place where the only true truth exists, so that we can understand this uh, a little bit better uh, this morning. And it's very, we have this on our website too. If you're ever curious or want to direct some of your friends to kind of our basic tenets of belief as a church, uh, you can go on our website. This is our website right here. And you'll see this little tiny black box. It says stories and belief or story and beliefs. You hit that box 
and then it'll go through what we believe. And it's very small, but I just wanted you to see our website. And uh, down right here on this section that's no longer there anymore, but it says that she, she made it big for me. Thank you, Nikki. You're a rock star. It says that we believe water baptism illustrates Christ's burial and resurrection and our new life as a Christian. This is a testimony to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, one of the most beautiful pictures of baptisms, uh, of, of what baptism is, really is very parallel to, um, to commitments we make as a married couple. How many married people are in the auditorium this morning? Raise your hand up in the air. Okay, very, very. How many are happy you're married? Raise your hand. I hope the you know, same hands go up. How many are still thinking through it? No, don't raise your hand up. Don't get in trouble. Okay. Don't get in trouble. So on my left hand... I have a really cool Kalo silicone, and I don't know why it's hard for me to get off because it's silicone. This shouldn't be that hard. But I have a, uh, one of these, it's kind of like a rubberish silicone wedding ring, and I like this kind of wedding ring for me because I've busted, broken, and, and, and have actually had a wedding ring that was all gold at one time when Kim and I first got married, and it kind of squished on me, and it flattened out a little bit, and it started to squeeze my finger. I took it off one day, and my finger started to take the form of that of the squeezing, and it was kind of abnormally shaped. Um, we took our church to Mexico City for a missions trip a few years ago. And I don't know why, because I never take my wedding ring off. Sometimes I take it off when I put product in my hair, you know, so, I, so it doesn't get underneath my ring. And then I put my ring back on. I forgot to put my ring on, and I'm on the plane. I'm sitting next to somebody. Kim didn't go with me because our kids were little. And somebody said to me, Pastor, what are you doing? We see the we see the tan line, but why aren't you wearing a ring? Are you thinking about, you know, meeting some little Mexican girl? I said, oh, oh no. I just, and they were just, they were just goofing with me, but I forgot my wedding ring. And so, you know, in Mexico City, I'm, we're, at the, we're at the shops and I'm trying to find a place. You can't find a size 14 wedding ring in Mexico, okay? You cannot find it there. So we found like a cigar wrapping. I put it on. I wore it the rest of the time, which means I didn't take a shower and, you know, that kind of stuff. Not that I was a, a hot commodity. The people are going, oh, he's not married. Nothing like that. But what happens is when we get married, we put the, we put the wedding ring on and it, what, it, it does what? It symbolizes the seriousness of the relationship. And when I marry a couple, I'll talk about the symbolic nature of the ring. Now, a lot of people use silicone rings anymore. So if they were using a silicone ring in their wedding service, I wouldn't say the value of your relationship is the same as the value of your ring. Can you imagine guys buying your fiance or your wife a diamond ring that was silicone instead of platinum or gold? It just it wouldn't work, would it, right? But we talk about the value, right? It's gold. It's, it's a precious metal. There's value in the relationship. It's circular, which symbolizes eternal, which symbolizes there's no beginning and there's no end. And we, and we put that ring on and we keep that ring on. And it's funny to me how most guys, even when you do wedding rehearsal, don't even know what finger it goes on. Whereas girls have been dreaming about that since they were five. You know, it's just, it's just difference in, in guys and ladies sometimes. But it really is a beautiful symbolic gesture that we make in our wedding ceremony. It's a cultural thing and a lot of cultures do it. That, that is an outward expression of an inward relationship. And that's why, we, that's why I wear a wedding ring. I want people to know that I'm married. I'm happily married. But this thing about baptism, being connected to our salvation, being connected to it's a good work. You know, Jesus' baptism was a baptism of repentance. So what does our baptism mean now? So I'm gonna give you, I called my, this part of our message, Duncan Do. 
because I was drinking a Dunkin' Donuts iced tea and it really made sense. But I'm going to give you some facts about baptism this morning and start off with baptism is an identification. Nothing more, nothing less than you identifying, right? When you're married, you identify yourself as a married person by wearing a a, a wedding ring. Um, as, As a believer, we are identified with Jesus Christ with that baptism, Uh, First of all, baptism is commanded by Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am going to be with you always to the very end of the age. uh, It's commanded by Jesus. The method that we believe that the Word of God teaches, the method of baptism is by immersion. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, because it symbolizes the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when we baptize, we baptize uh, symbolically uh, we, we, we lower somebody down in the water, which represents Jesus' death and his burial, and we bring them up out of the water, which represents his resurrection. And we believe that's what the Word of God teaches, is our method uh, of the way that we baptize. Now, people do baptisms different ways. People do baptisms different places. Uh, we've baptized on missions trips before. Uh, we have a couple in our church that's related to a couple that was in our church in Philadelphia. And, Mill, you talk about the baptism that you'll never, ever forget. You know, it's like this big emotional experience. We baptized them in the ocean off the coast of the country of South Africa. That's a cool baptism, right? But it was a freezing cool baptism because the water was like 50 degrees, we didn't even look at any of that stuff. Oh, the weather, it's 75 degrees. Oh, that's warm. Not when the water's 55 degrees and it's windy outside. And I had this tiny five-foot girl that I was baptiz- baptizing, and her husband, which was kind of a tiny, maybe barely a bit taller than her, and we had to go out really, really far to get to cold water. And when we got out to the cold water, I said, hey, we got to do this, or we're going to freeze to death. So I baptized him, and we got it on videotape. It was really sweet, really emotional, off the coast of South Africa, Durban, breathtaking moment. We ran back in, put our towels around and said, man, that was the craziest thing we ever did in our life, right? But they're always going to remember that. Uh, We use, in our church, when we baptize in this building, we use a horse trough. Now, it's never been used by horses, so don't get freaked out by that. We actually bought, invested heavily in this beautiful tin or metallic horse trough that we use for our baptisms. And we've done it out in the hallway. We've done it here at our old building. We did them outside. And we're going to be doing it at a pool on August the 21st. And we hope that you'll be a part of that, not only if you've never been baptized, but to witness others that are, that are doing this also. And you're going to see this method that we use called immersion. Now, there are different types, like I said. There are different churches that believe in a sprinkle baptism. A lot of churches do that when they baptize babies. Uh, a friend of mine pastors a church just outside of Northeast Philadelphia called Bethel Church, and I'm going to have him here this next year. His name is Rob, and Rob is just a great guy, and their church baptizes. They dunk people three times, boom, 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 three times in a row. I said, why do you do it that way? Here's was his answer. I don't know. That's why our church has always done it. Well, good. That's awesome. Good for you, right? But the whole idea is, is it's, not, it's, it's, it's not that the water does something to you. It, you're not going to wake up and, uh, on that last dunk or this initial dunk that we do, and you're not going to go, I just felt something from heaven, I'm saved now. No, what you're doing is, 
identifying yourself. I used to tell our teenagers when I would teach them about, about baptism. When you get baptized, you do what, Gary? You're putting on your jersey for Jesus. You identify. And I was going to wear a jersey of a football team that I like today, but it's not football season yet, and I didn't want to get harassed this morning, right? Uh, but you identify yourself as a believer, and you're identifying yourself with that local church too. And the next thing is, is we do it in God's name. Matthew 28, 19, make disciples of all nations, and you baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we use all three names or all three parts of God uh, in his trinity when we baptize people? And it's very simple is, is it takes the whole trinity of God for us to experience salvation. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for our sins. God sent his son and allowed his son to die on the cross for our sins. Once we accept Christ as our personal savior, God's Holy Spirit lives with inside of us, guides us, helps us understand truth, convicts us of our sin when we do things that we're not supposed to do, helps us to stay on the right path when we're submitted to him. So it took the whole trinity of God to give us this opportunity to have a relationship with God. That's why we do it in God's name. Number four, it expresses our faith. It is an outward expression of an inward relationship. You're telling people whose team you're on. You're telling people that I am identifying myself with Jesus Christ. And it is a great, great way to witness without even using words to your family members who may not know Christ. We've had people that we've baptized whose family members were there that as soon as we got done baptizing them, they were, okay, tell us what all this means. We were able to walk through that with them and lead family members to Jesus Christ because of what? The testimony of that person who submitted themselves to be baptized that day. Beautiful, beautiful uh, symbolism in your relationship with God. It expresses your faith. So what about baby baptism, okay? Is it wrong? Is it, you know, what's the deal with baby baptism? Well, let me read this to you in, in Galatians chapter three, It says, so in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves or identified yourselves with Christ. And just just by way of review, we, we believe baptism is for identification. It's done through the method of immersion. It happens after salvation. We do it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. It's an outward expression of an inward relationship And it's for children or those old enough and above who are old enough to make a profession of faith as Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, we do something in our church that's very similar to churches that baptize babies, and that's baby dedication. And what we teach in our church is, is that parents that have baptized their babies, we don't come across and say, that was a wrong thing to do and get all Judgy McJudgerton on there. You know, we don't want to be the church when people come in and everybody knows what we're against, we want people to know who we're for, and that's Jesus Christ. You with me, church? You know, we don't want to be the church, oh, they don't like this, and oh, they don't like that, and they're, you know, you're never going to walk into this church and see political banners hanging up. We can get a big amen on that, you know. Uh, we're not going to talk, we're going to talk about things that would lead you to vote who you should vote for, which is a hint what's going to happen in the next couple weeks here, so be here. It's going to be lots of fun, but... Um, Uh, We want to be a church that points to Jesus. 
We want everything we say and everything we do to be a reflection of Christ. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Well, you ought to hear what that pastor says, and you ought to hear what that. No, we want to draw people to Jesus Christ, not to me, not to our life group leaders, not to our board members, not to our teachers. We want to be a reflection of Christ. We want people to see Jesus in us. And, and, and I applaud parents for taking their kids through that, through that symbolic gesture uh, of baby baptism. Because what they're saying is, if you hear the words, we dedicate our baby to the Lord today. We do the same thing as a church. We just don't use water. So we don't want you to feel bad if you were baptized as a baby. That's a great thing. Your parents were presenting you to the Lord, identifying you as, as somebody that's going to be raised the right, way, the right way. Really, a baby doesn't make a decision when he gets baptized or dedicated, does it? We bring them up the side, they come up on stage, and what the parents do, please don't cry, please don't cry, please don't cry, please don't cry, right? And it happens, and it's cool because babies can't mess stuff up. Parents mess stuff up. You with me? So when we, when we dedicate kids, the commitment is made, and it's made for, by our church in multiple ways. First of all, by the parents, by their family members that are in attendance, and also by the church. We as a church make a commitment to come alongside of those parents to love those kids unconditionally, to help nurture and raise them uh, under, the, under the word of God and, 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 and under spiritual knowledge. We, we promise to be a good example to them. We promise to love them unconditionally and all those different things. And the parents make a commitment. Listen, I don't know any babies, any, never known one. And all of our babies do stuff earlier than every other baby did in the history of mankind. You know, Facebook will tell you that there was a baby walking at two days old somewhere, you know? I saw something today. Did you know the largest baby, the largest baby that's born on this planet, on dry land, there's two. An elephant is the largest baby, this was on Facebook today. This is like live news coming at you. The largest baby born, there's two. One is an elephant at 250 pounds, and the second largest baby born on this earth is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Now that was terrible, that was unnecessary. There's no reason for that. But somebody sent me that this morning, and I felt like it was my fiduciary duty to share that with you. I don't even know if I agree with it. It was kind of, it was kind of funny, though. It was kind of funny. But when we dedicate our kids, the kid isn't going, you know, watching the pastor, the parents are going, word. They're not doing that. They're not crying. They're ready for the diaper to be changed. They want some milk or whatever it is that you're feeding them, right? But we believe that baptism is something that takes place when you are old enough to make that decision that I want to be a follower of Christ and I want to identify with him. And we believe that that's what the word of God commanded us to do. And what's wonderful about baptism is Jesus commanded us to do it and when we obey him, listen, if you don't ever get baptized, I don't know, I just don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. It's, it's not banning you from heaven. Okay, you're not going to get a big lightning bolt or have an awful shower experience someday. You not getting baptized has nothing to do with you actually being saved. Your salvation is based on your belief in Jesus Christ, period. Nothing else. There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby you must be saved. You can't be more saved or less saved before or after baptism. Here's what baptism is. You ready? It's identification and it's obedience, And when we obey God, what does God do when we obey God? Well, I tell my kids when they were little. I tell my grandkids. I tell my my, my granddaughter, Logan, and my my grandson, Tori. And and as soon as as Rosie's old enough to understand this, if you listen to Pop, if you listen to Pop, 
he's gonna buy you everything you want. That's the grandparents' creed. Can I get an amen from some grandparents this morning? Solid, right? That's what we do. We want to bless our grandkids. We're not, but is, is some, somewhat of the blessing, is somewhat, not all the time, but is somewhat of the blessing tied into obedience? Well, how much more? How much more? The Bible says that over and over again about our, about our relationship with God. How much more does God want to bless you? How much more does God want to bless you? And God will and desires not only to have a relationship with you, but after that relationship that you enter in with him, God desires to bless you. He doesn't want us walking through this world as his kids feeling unloved or miserable. And listen, life is hard sometimes. Wouldn't it be great if we sold salvation with, the day you get saved, your house is going to be paid off and your car will never have trouble again. Salvation works for you. Boy, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? But life is hard sometimes. Bills are very, very real. Sickness has happened to all of us. Life comes at us so fast and furious sometimes. We don't even know when it hits us uh, every once in a while. But the truth of the matter is when we obey God, he blesses us. And I know how much I want to bless my daughters. And I know how much I want to bless my son-in-laws as a dad. And I know how much I want to bless my grandkids. But I know I cannot even come close to the amount of love that God has for me and God has for you in the way that he wants to bless our lives. Sometimes, too many times, we attribute blessings to stuff, to material things. And that's not saying that God won't bless you materially. That's up to him. But the truth is, is when we obey him, he blesses us. So we took communion this morning. We believe the two ordinances, practices, things we do as a church, uh, that we participate in corporately, our baptism, which we talked about, and communion, or the Lord's Supper. And baptism, or, com- or excuse me, communion, is simply about remembering and reflecting, remembering and reflecting. We remember the, the body of Jesus Christ. We remember the blood of Jesus Christ. But we have to understand when we receive that, when we eat that awful cracker, I remember when I was a little kid, and I was, you know, I, I, I just sitting through church. Oh, it's going to be, you know, communion tonight. That's going to be great. And we would, we would take communion. And I remember eating that really dry cracker. And I remember other, other kids sitting at mine row. Because we'd bring all the kids in. And I remember some of the kids in my row would, you know, three or four bites that super duper dry mega cracker. <coughs> like a cat, you know, with a hairball, you know, choking up a little bit. And then when we would drink the communion cup. I remember one time this kid drank the communion cup and he stuck his tongue inside and he couldn't get it off of his tongue because of the suction. And the mom actually squeezed the cup, the plastic cup, and broke it on his tongue, which was really funny because he was my buddy, so I really love that, you know. But it's not taking the literal body and the literal blood. It's a representation of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So the origin of it, Jesus gave it to his disciples as a gift so that they would remember him in Luke chapter 22. In verse number 19, the Bible says he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said this, this is a representation, this is my body for you. Do this to remember, to remember me. Of the participants, Paul spoke to the early church in 1 Corinthians. We believe that this ordinance is supposed to be shared under the, the authority of the word of God in the local New Testament church. The participants in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 says, For I re- Paul said, I receive from the Lord something I'm going to pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread or, or shared communion that night. He was telling the church, this is something for the church to do. Now, what's really interesting 
about communion when Jesus talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The church at Corinth was going through some crazy, crazy stuff. If you've been saved for any amount of time and you've been a member or part of other ministries, maybe you've had front seats to some crazy stuff in churches and you, you know, and everybody, you know, we've had people come to our church, oh, Man, Ed, you would not believe some of the crazy stuff from this church we came from. And I'll go, yes, I will. Yep, I believe it. Because, I, because I've seen, I've been in the middle of it. You know, our church was birthed out of some of that. Uh, when I was in Philadelphia, our, our church was birthed out of crazy on steroids. I mean, just cray-cray church of the world. That's just kind of, and why does the church go through, you know, we, and we get, sometimes it, it, it really, it, it damages or shakes our faith when we see churches go through stuff. And you know why? We don't, we forget sometimes that churches are led by and run by, or from a physical standpoint, human beings who aren't what? Perfect. This dude right here, if you're looking for a flawless guy to be your pastor, it ain't me. I'm not flawless. Now, my wife thinks I'm flawless and super hot. Just ask her. Don't ask her. Just, no, don't even ask her that. She knows my flaws more than anybody. She would tell you, he's not perfect. He's not, we're not perfect. And we make mistakes. I make mistakes. I don't want to make mistakes, but I make mistakes. I try not to make mistakes. And listen, I, I heard a guy say this one time in a pastor's conclave I was at. He said, pastors are really good at preaching their personal prisons. And I think that's a good word. Um, when I was sharing with you this morning about reflecting, asking the Lord to forgive you of anything that's in your life, asking the Lord to cleanse you before you take the Lord's Supper, I wasn't doing that out of the pastor's handbook on how to give communion. That's out of the word of God, number one. But I was praying about some stuff. Lord, I don't want to stand before these great people this morning and be a liar, be a hypocrite or not have things in my life that are right. And I prayed that prayer in Psalm 139. Lord, search my heart, know me. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And I'm the kind of husband, and guys, I would, I would, I would strongly suggest that you do this. I'm the kind of husband that goes up to his wife every once in a while, say, honey, I love you, and I'm sorry, just in case. Isn't that a good word, Kevin? Just, if I did something that I don't even remember, I'm sorry for that, just in case. You know, but in all seriousness, you know, uh, the, 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 the Bible tells us in the book of Psalm and Proverbs, David says in Psalm 51, cleanse me from secret faults, things that I don't even remember. You know, search my heart, know me, try me. Because you know what, sometimes we get so used to sinning so much and it becomes second nature because it is part of our nature, our human nature, that we mess up, we're flawed, we're, we're just, we're hu- and we're not gonna be perfect until we're in heaven with Jesus Christ someday. So God took this, this, this beautiful act of remembering the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus Christ to, for us to do this. Lord, search my heart and try me. Lord, is everything good with me and my buddy Jack? Is everything good with me and Gary? Is everything good with me and my wife? Is everything good with me and Johnny? Is everything good with me and Mary Ann, right? Because if there's not, here's what the Bible says. Put it down before you do it. Go to that person, make it right, and then come back and remember me. Sometimes we think that, and we're taught this, we're taught this as kids if you grew up in church, sometimes we think that God's really mad at us all the time. The judgment of God, you know, we we hear that, oh, it's scary, because the judgment of God is real. The sovereignty of God is real. God does hate sin, but I want to tell you something. God doesn't hate sinners. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take every bad thing I ever did and every bad thing that you ever did. And he, and he took that upon his perfect sinless body 
and he laid his life down and he died to pay for all the bad stuff all of us ever did. The Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. He has shown us over and over and over again, not just by his words in the, in the scriptures, but by his actions. And I'm really good at that. I think all of us can understand that. I'm really good at telling my wife I love her, telling my kids I love them, even telling people I love them. I'm one of those guys that'll even when he's, when he's talking to his family on the phone, I say I love you for goodbye. You ever do that? Okay, where are you going? What are you doing right? Okay, love you, bye. And, so, and, so, and it almost becomes second nature to just say that. And that's not a bad thing, but what, what's important is it's not that we're just saying it, it's that we're demonstrating it. I tell my wife I love her, and I wear a wedding ring. I'm like Elmer J. Fudd saying wedding ring today. Wedding ring. <laughs> and I wear my wedding ring because I want people to know that I'm very happy married. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the woman that God's given me to spend my life with. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm also thankful for the forgiveness that's demonstrated by each other. I've had to say I'm sorry a few hundred thousand times. And my wife has apologized once or twice too, you know, because we've needed to. But we do that because we love one another. And God has shown us over and over again, the participants are the church. The church. God has used this to be a cleansing agent for his church. You know what's going on in the church at Corinth? Man, this is crazy. This sounds like today on Netflix, a movie. This is what was happening in this early church. This early church, there was a young man who got the hots for his stepmother. Weird, right? And then he had his stepmother leave his father, and he started shacking up with his stepmother because my father wasn't treating her right, and I'm going to be a better husband to her. First Corinthians. This is, this is First Corinthians in the Bible this happened, okay? And then after that happened... There was people that sided with the young man who was with his stepmother. I'm just going to say it. Ew. The young man with his stepmother. And then there was other people that sided with the father and his whole, and all his cronies. They were all part of the church together and had their little holy meetings of being mad at each other. They would do it by taking communion together. And Paul said, you're not supposed to use communion to divide you. You use communion to make things right. Dude, you need to tell your dad you're sorry. You guys need to get this stuff all cleaned up. And you say, wow, this happened 2,000 years ago? Yeah, but isn't it a pretty fair representation of our culture today, right? Of just immorality and, and, and things like that? It's pretty serious. But it goes into even unserious issues. Like if my friend Herbert and I were mad at each other. We were mad at each other. We're not supposed to come into church with our arms folded, sitting as far away and, uh, from each other as we can. I love this church, but I don't like that guy. I love this church, but I don't want to go near him. I love this church, but I'm mad at him. But I'm going to take the Lord's table, and I'm going to remember Jesus, even though I'm mad at that guy over there. Jesus said, don't do that. You go to that guy and humble yourself before the eyes of the Lord. Tell him you're sorry. Get that thing right with one another. And after you're right with one another, then remember, listen, that I died and rose again for those sins that you committed. I gave you the opportunity to, not Herbert, we're good, right? Just, I just wanna make sure, we're solid gold. Okay, I'm starting to sweat a little bit over here. You know, we're good. So the origin is Jesus instituted. The participants are us, the church. The physical action is us taking the bread, unleavened bread, which is a representation of, of cleanness. If, if the bread is leavened, that means that it, leavened bread is a representation in the word of God of sin. 
I didn't know that years ago, so we just brought saltines and we did the Lord's Supper with that. We, we weren't condemned to hell because we use leavened bread for, for that, but we understand that, the, the, that unleavened bread is a symbolic part of this, of this gesture that we do before the Lord. He said, for I received from the Lord, I'm passing it to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it to remember me. The mental action is, is us remembering, is us, is us going through that process. Jesus loves me. He gave himself for me so I can have a relationship with him. And I remember that. I think about that. I ponder upon it. I even meditate on it for, for, a, peri- for a period of time. There's a spiritual action. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 16, it says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf, for we share Jesus Christ. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. The spiritual action that we take we want to make sure things are right with one another. Father, forgive me. Father, give me the opportunity to make things right with my buddy or with my wife or with this person or with that person. There's, there's, there, there's, a, there's a contrition that takes place where you're making things right with God and making things right with one another. It's spiritual action. But then it talks about aren't, and when it says, do not the people in Israel, you know what's really cool about the church in Corinth? The church in Corinth was started out of the church in Israel. And Paul said, this communion that we're doing, this remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, our brothers and sisters over in, you know, Warehouse Church in Jerusalem are doing the same thing as we're doing this, and that's what unites us. It's not the physical, right, drink or the physical uh, bread that we eat, but it is the one who represents those things, and that's Jesus Christ. You know what's really cool? Uh, My wife and my kids and all of us are going on vacation last week of August together. And when I, when I go on vacation, I encourage you to do this. Either watch church online here or go to church somewhere else. I like going to church because I like seeing stuff that other, other churches do. But you know what's kind of cool about going to other churches when I'm out of town? It's really cool walking in, like some of you people do, right when church starts and leaving as soon as it's over. I really like that once in a while. We got here at 8 and we're leaving at 12. It's all good. It's what we do. It's no big deal. But it's really cool kind of walking in during the first song. I'm like, oh, man. I'm just like my friend Richard. You know, I'm coming in the first song. You know what I mean? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that first song, you know, because I can go right to the message. I only need the message, the music, you know, we, and we do it. But I like going to church. Like, you know what I do when I sit? I kind of Jesus juke, Gary. Jesus juke those churches. And I take all the stuff out of the, out of the chair in front of me. And I'll tell the pastor, hey, my name's Ed. I'm from this church, da-da-da-da-da. Everything you print, I took a copy of it with me. Guy goes, okay, it's cool. And I said, if you ever want any of our stuff, email me, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I like the commonness. Hey, I know that song. Hey, that message is something that, I've heard a message like that in my church before. I'm encouraged today because we have things in common with people all over the world. When we go to Guatemala in November, you're gonna go to a church. And when you go to a church, you're gonna hear people speak in Spanish. And if you don't know any Spanish, you're gonna be going, huh? And you're gonna be playing Candy Crush or whatever you do on your cell phones, and you're going to be waiting for, but then you're going to, you're going to notice some things. They're singing. Oh, we do that in our church. And you're going to try to sing, because the words will be up on their screen too. And you'll say Spanish words all jacked up, but you'll do it. And you'll kind of see when the message is happening. You'll know, listen, 
There ain't no doubt when the offering takes place because this big bucket comes by with money that doesn't look like our money. We gotta throw our money into it because we wanna participate in that, right? But there's a commonness that we share and what's common isn't the actions, it's the one who died so that we could have this community together. We share Jesus with people all over the world. What a blessing that is. And honestly, number six, and I, and I want you to think about this with me. Communion is not just something we do because we're supposed to do it. There is a sacred seriousness to communion. Paul spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians trying to get the church to understand the serious nature of that. I'm gonna read that passage for you once again out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So, it's so important. So then, whoever, who's whoever? Tell somebody you're sitting next to, you're whoever. So you know what that means? This is for you. You're whoever. I'm whoever. We're all whoever's. We're in Whoville. We're Dr. Seuss this morning. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord, check this out, you ready? In an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, everybody ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and eat of the blood, eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning that the body of Christ eat and drink judgment upon themselves. And listen to this. This is like a very sobering verse here. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and even a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, if you go back and study the language of that, it means that there were people that died before their time because they were disrespectful to the Lord in the way that they took the cup and the bread, yeesh. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. We speak truth about that God is love. And we want you to know that no matter what you've come out of, no matter what you're in the middle of right now, no matter, no matter how bad you think your kind of sin account is, God loves you just the way that you are. But please don't forget this. He loves you too much to leave you that way. And what he wants you to do is not to be like Ed or not to be like Dave or not to be like Johnny or not to be like Jack. God wants you to be like him. He wants you to be like him because, listen, it's not that... He doesn't want you to sin because it just makes him mad. Sin goes against his very nature because God is perfect and holy. And, and frankly, we're not. And we're not gonna be perfect and holy until we see him face to face and we're given a glorified body. And you know what's really great about in heaven? We will not even have the ability to be able to sin. That's really, really awesome. But while we're here on this earth, the word of God says, be holy for I am holy. So we're in this constant pursuit and listen, it's tough, man. Ladies, it's hard. It's hard trying to do good all the time. It's hard trying to speak to each other the right way all the time. It's hard reacting in traffic the way that we're supposed to all the time. It's hard to be generous to those in need.
the way that we are supposed to all the time. It's hard to be faithful in our giving the way that we're supposed to all the time. It's hard to be faithful in telling people about Jesus the way the word of God. But listen, God didn't put all these rules in our lives so he can have this (laughs) control over you. God put these things in our life because he loves us. He wants us to be more like him. And as his children, he wants us to do the right stuff so that the conclusion, the, the very end result of that is this. I'm gonna bless you. I want to live under the hand of God's blessing in my life. But I'm reminded all the time, you're not quite there yet. I'm very aware of my flaws. I'm very aware of of areas that I need to grow. But God is so faithful. And I'm so glad that God is so patient with me. Are you glad that God's patient with you this morning? Man, I'll tell you what, he's a lot more patient with me than I am with others sometimes. Is that a good word? So the seriousness of partaking of that, it's not a piece of Jesus' body, it's not his literal blood, but we're reflecting. Wow, he did this so that I could be saved. He did this so that I could be right. And if I'm living right, he's gonna bless my life. So baptism, it's an outward expression. The Lord's table, or communion, we do it to remember, reflect, and pursue holiness with our lives. I hope that that'll be something that you'll take away with you this morning. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you for your great attention. I know sometimes when, I want to thank the folks. We had like six people that asked those three questions. One of them was word for word. The other two we kind of blended together. But I want to thank you for those great questions. Great questions. We have other questions that were asked. Here's a good question that was asked while the music starts to play. Um, How can I still love my pastor when I really disagree with him and I'm mad at him and even hate him? I'm hoping that wasn't my wife, but that was a good question. That's okay. It's all good. How can I? Should I? Why do I? You know, those are great, great questions. Grab a card, write your question down, and we'll try to answer it from the authority, not from feelings, but from the authority of God's word, his holy inspired preserved word. But today we talked about two things that might not even be something in your life that you even, that, that you believe that for many, I know there's a lot of folks in this church have been saved for years and years, have been part of a church for a long time, baptized. Man, I was 12 years old when I got baptized, 41 years ago, right? That's a long time ago. So is that behind me now? I don't have to talk about it anymore. No, I want to see my, I, I was able to baptize some of my son-in-laws. I was able to baptize some of my girls and I can't wait hopefully to be part of my grandkids, you know, making that outward expression of their faith. I can't wait for that to happen someday. Maybe that's something new for you. Maybe you were taught baptisms a little bit different. I got baptized since I was a baby. Doesn't that count? Sure it counts. It means your parents wanted to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We applaud your parents for that. But now, as the Bible told us in Galatians, you are called by God, commanded by God to make that decision for yourself that's a reflection of your personal relationship with God. So we got to take a step backwards. How would you say your personal relationship with God is? I didn't ask you if you were sinning, if you sinned this week, because all of us did. But have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and save you? If you haven't done that, you can do that right here this morning. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It tells us in Romans, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. 
You say, Pastor Ed, I want to be saved this morning. Well, if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, you pray this prayer. I'm just guiding you with the words of this prayer. This is the decision that I want to encourage you to make by putting your faith and trust in Christ, by praying this with me this morning. The prayer goes like this. You say this to God in the quietness of your heart. Nobody else can hear your thoughts. Just say this to God. Say, Dear Father in heaven, just say that to him, Dear Father in heaven, I know today that I am a sinner. Will you please forgive me of all of my sins and come into my life and save me? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying so that my sins will be forgiven. Thank you for being alive. And now I will live with you forever. Thank you for saving me. And then say this, please help me to live for you. This is the way I like to say a salvation prayer with folks. Just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you or anything like that. But if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, the belief that you have before you get baptized, would you just lift your hand up in the air and say, Ed, I prayed that prayer with you. I invited Christ to come into my heart. Thank you, my two dear friends. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, young man. Pastor Ed, I prayed with you that prayer that you just said, and I invited Jesus into my heart to save me. Anybody else like that today? Okay, second question. How many of you would say, God bless you, sweet lady? How many of you would say, Pastor Ed, I need to be baptized. I want to learn a little bit more about it, but I know that's something I need to do. I want to identify with my Savior, with this church. I want to take that step of obedience. I want my whole family to know. I want all my friends to know. I am saved. You say, Pastor Ed, I'm not going to get baptized today, but I'm making that decision today that I'm going to get baptized next time that you guys do it. But I know I need to be baptized. If that's you this morning, lift your hand up with me real quick. Just shoot your hand up in the air. God bless you. God bless you, sweet girl. Anybody else? Pastor, I accepted Christ as my Savior either recently or a long time ago. Never been baptized. I know I need to be baptized. Anybody else before we pray? God bless you. I want to encourage you. In just a few moments, my wife's going to come up here and give just a couple closing statements. When you walk out into the lobby, there's kind of a booth on the opposite wall, and it says, Baptism, August the 21st, Wednesday night. If you want to be baptized, if you're interested in baptism, if you'd like us to contact you and talk to you a little bit more about it, work your way back there. Sign up on there, and we will get in touch with you this week. Father, we love you. Lord, we don't want baptism or communion to be something that's routine. We just do because we're supposed to do it. Lord, we see that baptism identifies us with you. It's a public proclamation that we are part of the family of God. It's a great testimony. It's a great living testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But very simply, it's also something you commanded us to do. And I pray, Father, that all of us that know Christ as Savior would submit to that as we have a big celebration on August the 21st. And we'll see lots of new family members make that uh, public proclamation or public identification for you. And Lord, as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, we just participated in during our worship. Help us to kind of meditate on that this week. And let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for this church. Thank you for the word of God. Help us to stay true to your word and in serving you. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And everybody say it with me. Amen. This is my beautiful wife.